Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4s Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Associate Editor, TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just uh, building these lineups. Preseason's officially done, so we're in it, we're ready. Uh, this is one of two podcasts this week, because we'll have our week one coming up later, but we have one more position to cover before we get to those week one picks. One more? Forgetting about kicker, we got two more, but Mm -hmm. we'll actually cover both of those in this podcast. We'll go over kicker a lot more briefly than defense special teams since it's really only on FanDuel. But before we get into all of that, we have to talk about the music that played us in, which was Old Dirty Bastard, Got Your Money, featuring Khalees off the 1999 album, Please. This is one of my favorite songs. I think it's pretty fitting that we start a DFS podcast with it. Yeah, I mean, not even just to start a, one of our podcasts, but our uh, the podcast before our week one podcast. I mean, our theme is Get This Money, so baby, I got your money. Yeah, we need to get Khalees in the studio to record a DFS MVP remix. Yeah, let's see if we can get her. I'll, I'll reach out to her. All right, please do, man. Uh, let's get right into the defense and special teams. I know I wrote a lot more about this topic than yourself over this offseason, TJ. So I'll let you kind of guide the conversation and I'll uh, jump in with all my findings. Yeah, you did so. You did a, a lot of uh, in-depth work on both defense and special teams, uh, as well as kickers. So I'm going to let you kind of just run with it in this one. And and the first thing that we want to start with is uh, what you do every year. You go through each position and look at the highest correlated uh, uh, stats in terms of which stats correlate the most with fantasy points. And of course, you did that for our defense and special teams. So do you just kind of want to take us through those correlations and where we are? finding that these fantasy points come from for defense and special teams sure so the first thing that i thought was really interesting was that defensive touchdowns have a 0.76 correlation where as return touchdowns that's kick return touchdowns have only a 0.41 correlation so those defensive touchdowns are a little more important and it's no also no coincidence that then interceptions, fumble recoveries, and sacks all have a higher correlation than points allowed to defensive fantasy production because not only are you scoring points from those interceptions and turnovers and sacks, but those are the plays that are going to be returnable for touchdowns for the defense. So you really want to focus on a defense that's not just going to allow a low amount of points, but one that is going to be able to force turnovers. And the way that a defense will force turnovers is they need to face a lot of passes. So over the last three years when the game is tied or the or an offense is leading, they'll only pass about 50% of the time. But when they're trailing, they'll pass 67% of the time. So that translates directly to sack and interception production on a per-play basis. When an offense is leading or tied, they only give up .031 sacks per play, but when they're trailing, they they give up .040 sacks per play. And when an offense is leading or tied, they give up 
0.010 interceptions per play, but when they're trailing, that goes up to 0.017 interceptions per play. And of course, that's per play, so that's not just per pass, but the reason we want per play is because there's only uh, so many plays in the game, and um, we want the opposing offense to actually be passing more on our defense. So of course, the way we find these teams that are going to face a lot of passes is first of all just on a conceptual level it's going to be the good teams the teams with the best offenses that are going to generally cause opponents to have to pass more because those opponents are going to have to play catch up more often than not but of course we want to look at predictive variables and measures so we can look at the Vegas lines of course for defense special teams it's one of our most important tools and what we find is that without looking at salary or anything like that home favorites overall are putting up the best defensive stats in terms of allowing the least points they allow 20 per game they get the most sacks 2.66 per game and they get the most interceptions point uh second most interceptions actually 0.94 per game Whereas road favorites are slightly behind there in points per game at 20.6 allowed. Uh, sacks, they're at 2.36 versus the 2.66 for home favorites. And then they have road favorites actually have averaged more interceptions than home favorites, 1.02 to 0.94. And then for underdogs, both home and road, you're dropping way down in terms of points allowed. So for home underdogs, it's 25. And for road underdogs, it's 25.9. Uh, home underdogs only getting 2.3 sacks and road underdogs only 2.23 sacks. Remember, that's compared to 2.66 for home favorites and 2.36 for road favorites. And home underdog and road underdogs are both getting interceptions per game totals in in the 0.8s versus 1.02 for road favorites and 0.94 for home favorites. So big differences there between home and road teams and favorites and underdogs. Now, for the DFS Playbook 2016 defense special teams article that I released earlier this summer, I also looked at how these numbers are translating into usable value on the sites. And what I found was that on DraftKings, it's the value is pretty predictable in terms of home favorites return the most points per dollar at 2.84, followed by road favorites at 2.75. That's points per thousand dollars actually and road underdogs were at 2.59 and then home underdogs at 2.52 on FanDuel road favorites were actually more valuable than home favorites Uh, they returned 1.85 points per thousand whereas home favorites were at 1.79 points per thousand but both of those favorites were still significantly higher in terms of value then road underdogs, which were at 1.5, and home underdogs, which were at 1.47. So it appears there is a little bit of variance in terms, variability in terms of how the sites are actually valuing these home favorites and these road favorites. And TJ, you actually just found some some interesting things out about sp- particularly road teams. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think what you were touching on had to do with uh, value and uh, basically like hitting cash game value, different uh, 3x, 4x in your studies. And and what I found has a little bit more game theory implications. So uh, if you're just kind of looking at breaking the the stats into buckets, so um, favorites, 
uh, one to three point favorites, three to three point to six and a half point favorites, and then teams that are favored by over a touchdown. Uh, what we find on both FanDuel and DraftKings is that uh, these favorites on the road, um, they're actually uh, priced slightly higher. And we were talking about this a little bit off air and I uh, think it has a li- little bit to do with if a team is a road favorite, then it has a lot to do with the fact that it's probably just a very good team. Someone like a New England, someone like a Seattle. Uh, so that's they're not necessarily getting the price bump because they're the huge favorite, but because uh, they are just that very good team. But I think that can lead to some game theory implications because I think overall people are going to shy away a little bit away from a team that uh, is a decent big favorite or, or very big favorite when they are on the road. But what we found is that when we run the fantasy numbers, when we look at the value that it returns, that uh, it's pretty much the same whether they're home and away. Uh, and because those name value teams are going to be priced higher because they're just good teams overall, I think that might uh, drive the ownership percentage down a little bit and uh, taking that a little bit further if we look at teams that were favored by three and a half to six and a half compared to teams that were favored by a touchdown or more uh, there really isn't a a big difference in uh, the fantasy production so I think there's another game theory opportunity there where a lot of people are going to be targeting those huge favorites um, anyone that's favored by a touchdown or more but we can get uh, just as much return uh, by targeting those teams that are favored in that that second tier uh, by a field goal uh, to maybe like five or six points and, and still get the same value. And those guys are probably probably going to be owned less because everyone is targeting those uh, higher favorites. And I think your ownership percentage numbers support that theory. Definitely. And we can talk a lot more about this home versus road and favorite versus underdog thing and I also think you brought up a good point about the second tier because I think that rings true for a lot of different game theory elements as far as ownership in tournaments with every position not just defense but a lot of times you're trying to avoid the chalk plays in tournaments and you're trying to avoid having a very common lineup and a lot of times what you can do is or what people make the mistake of, first of all, is they try to have this very unique lineup with all these super low ownership percentages, where a lot of the time, if you are just choosing players in that second tier of ownership or that second tier of value, a lot of times those are where the real gems are. It's not the most highly owned guy of the day or the the guy with the best dollar per point value because we we know the nature of statistics. Things are always regressing. Thing there's always uh, volatility and things are always going not exactly the way we think they are. But a lot of times people end up sacrificing too much value by just going completely off the map where you can find a lot of gems in that second tier. And I think that rings true, especially at a position like wide receiver as well, where there'll usually be two or three really high owned wide receivers. But then if you're, if you're aiming to own guys and maybe that four through eight range in terms of ownership, you could be fine without necessarily sacrificing too much value and still getting decent uh, lower ownership than the top guys. So I thought that was a really good, good thing to mention there and just going back to the defenses opposing team total so we've talked a lot about favorites and underdogs and on the home at at home and on the road in terms of opposing team totals I did find a very strong correlation between 
defensive special team fantasy point production and opposing team totals up to around maybe about 20, 24 or, or so. So below 18 on DraftKings, defensive special teams are putting up when a team when when the opposing team has a total below 18. D- DSTs on DraftKings are putting up 3.28 points per thousand. 18 to 21, it goes all the way down to 2.78. 21 to 24, it's 2.74. And then 24 to 27, it's 2.45. Then it actually bumps up a little bit at the 27 plus uh, range. So I think some of those guys actually might, the prices might be dropping a little too much when a team has a super high total against. And on FanDuel, similar trend, whereas actually you don't even see that that drop off at the 27 plus, but below 18 on FanDuel, 2.8, 2.18, excuse me, points per thousand. At 18 to 21, it goes down to 1.80 points per thousand. At 21 to 24, it goes down to 1.66, 24 to 27, 1.43, and above 27, 1.36. So on FanDuel, it's, it's actually a perfect correlation. Uh, at DraftKings is just at the super high opposing point totals, which you're probably not going to be using anyway. Um, there's a little bit of a increase again, but in general, those opposing team totals are very indicative and predictive of defensive special teams value. And again, that's not necessarily because these teams are just allowing a low number of points. It's because of uh, it combines a lot of things. Generally, when a team has a low implied point total the other opposing offense will have the ball a lot more they'll be able to score more points or the the team will have a really bad quarterback and when you're looking for sacks sacks are actually a quarterback trait a lot of people think they are have a lot to do with the offensive line but it's actually more of a quarterback trait and this has been statistically proven that Interception rates are actually a lot more variable, whereas sack rates are more of a quarterback trait. It depends on how quickly a quarterback can get rid of the ball. That's why we know certain quarterbacks, even as they aged, like a guy like Peyton Manning, even though he was pretty immobile late into his career, he still wasn't necessarily getting sacked a ton because he knew how to get the ball out of his hands really quickly. So that's something to keep in mind there. And just going back to those interceptions and sacks, we actually see, just like we see a direct correlation between opposing totals and defensive special team fantasy production, we see that same correlation in terms of interceptions and sacks. So below, with a team total of an opponent below 18, there are 3.83 combined interceptions plus sacks per game. At 18 to 21, it goes down to 3.64 combined. At 21 to 24, it goes down to 3.35 combined. 24 to 27, 3.05. And 27 plus, just 2.69 combined interceptions and sacks. So we really want those interceptions and sacks. That's what we're targeting. Look at the quarterback. Look at how the game script is likely to go. You want a team that's going to need to pass. You don't necessarily want... Uh, your defense to be playing a team like the Rams, even though they might have a low team total. The Ram- we know the Rams are going to just run the ball and run the ball. And even when they get down, as long as it's a one-score, two-score game, they're probably still going to run the ball. So that's not necessarily going to give your defense a lot of opportunities as much as maybe a, a more 
a team like the Jaguars or somebody like that who much more likely to throw the ball, even though they have a much better offense, they're still more likely to throw the ball and thus turn it over more. Uh, TJ, I know you had some more thoughts on this whole uh, concept. Yeah, I mean, just like I did with the uh, with the favorites and the underdogs, I, I looked at implied team totals and kind of agnostic of pricing, just kind of went through and, and looked where the fantasy points are coming from, and it supported exactly what you said. We saw a pretty big jump in average fantasy points from our defense and special teams once their opponent's implied total uh, dropped below 24 po- points. We saw an average of, of around uh, six, a little under six, jump all the way up to an average of seven and a half points, which doesn't sound like much, but if you consider that's the entire sample size of all the games, uh, that, that's a, that one and a half point jump is pretty big. And then the fewer points that uh, a team was expected to give up, the higher average fantasy points they ended up scoring. So there was a direct correlation there. Uh, but again, we notice a very distinct trend that, if we take those numbers and separate them by home and away, uh, the road team was actually scoring more fantasy points when they had an opponent with a lower implied total than the home team. And again, that just goes back to the theory that uh, for a team to be expected to give up very few points on the road, they're probably a very good team. And again, we probably have some game theory implications there where some people might be avoiding playing someone like a, a New England or a Seattle or a Cincinnati because they're on the road. Uh, those teams are still scoring more fantasy points even when they are on the road than a team expected to give up the same number of points but uh, just less a less skilled defense. And again, those even though they're on the road, those teams are going to keep being priced higher uh, because they are better teams. So a chance to get a lower ownership percentage because we're looking at defenses that are away with a higher uh, salary. So I think those that's some, another chance for some GPP implications where we can get some really good defenses and really good spots where people might fade them just because they are the road team. But that might not be the best uh, way to go about it. Definitely, and I actually wrote a couple of articles in the off season titled uh, "Fanduel Year in Review: uh, DFS Defensive Special Team Strategy, Fanduel Year in Review, and DraftKings Year in Review." They're two separate articles, but they essentially look at what happened last year in terms of pricing and home and away splits and things like that relative to value. And for Fanduel cash games. of defensives hit 2x value, so that's roughly one-third of playable DSTs in a given week are going to hit that 2x value on FanDuel. And going back to what you said, TJ, of those who hit 2x value, only 43.8% of them were at home. Mm -hmm. So... That you're getting about 56% of your 2x valued defense special teams are actually road teams. Now, 53% were favorites, so there is a, still a slight edge to selecting favorites, but it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it comes out more pronounced um, when you're looking at the absolute value on a point-per-dollar basis, as I, as I discussed before. But in terms of a floor, favorites only giving you a slight edge on FanDuel. And, of course, these, could, these things could change as the sites adjust their pricing 
as well. But I think the real takeaway is that it looks like people are might be unnecessarily avoiding road teams. And I think road teams look like if a road team is the better team and they're a favorite and you're confident that they will win the game, there's no reason to necessarily avoid a road team. As far as on FanDuel cash hitting 2x value, over two-thirds of the teams, the DSTs, to hit 2x value had an opposing total under 24, and over one-third had an opposing total under 21. So you're getting... Uh, a slight edge by targeting those low totals as I discussed before. As far as DraftKings cash games, 38% of DSTs hit 3x value. And here, we again, we see only 46.7% were at home. So that gives you about 54% that were on the road hitting that cash game value. 48.7% were favorites. So again, you're not really seeing a huge edge coming out there. Um, and and that's, a, that's also because DraftKings has some really low pricing for its defense special teams some some of them are priced you know 2k 2.1 2.2 2.3 and you can actually find value there i don't necessarily recommend it i i wouldn't jump too far down those uh, pricing tiers especially in cash games unless i really needed to but it's it's just uh, an interesting point that the value is there um it's just harder to decipher sometimes but Moving on to GPPs, I looked at the statistics from winning the grand prize winning lineups in the FanDuel Sunday Million, and the median salary for defenses was 4,700. That's that was tied with kicker, and the median ownership percentage for defenses was 4.5 percent, and that was seventh out of the nine positions. So on FanDuel. Smart to get a contrarian defense going, someone around that 5% or under ownership. Those are those tend to be the defenses that are were in the winning lineups. 16% of DSTs hit 3x value on FanDuel. And 63% of those were favorites. So now we really see when we're looking for our ceiling from our DST, we really see that favorites are giving a significant edge in that area. But again, home teams, only 45% of the FanDuel DSTs to hit 3x value are at home. 45%, that means 55% are on the road. So again, don't shy away from those road teams. You do not have to shy away from a road team as long as they're in a good situation. There's no need to look the other way there. 77% of FanDuel DSTs to hit 3x value had a team total under 24. And that was a lot more significant than on DraftKings for for tournament value where 68% of teams had a team total below 24. That's also because more there was more tournament value on DraftKings than on FanDuel. But on FanDuel, it seems especially important to target those low implied totals. 45% had a total under 21, and that's compared to 37% for tournament value on DraftKings. So FanDuel... Low team totals, a little more important than on DraftKings. For the DraftKings Millie Maker, the grand prize winners in 2015 had a median salary of 3100 at defense and a median ownership of 
12%, which is actually fourth out of the nine positions. So I think that was interesting that on DraftKings there, you're – you're getting a more of a chalk defense in those in the in those lineups, and I think that might have something to do with the fact that DraftKings they have really low pricing in terms of defense, mm-hmm. but they also have really high pricing in terms of some defenses. So like the Seahawks or some teams will sometimes hit like 4K, which is as much as some of the the top tight ends in a given week. So I think on DraftKings it just seems like it's a little more important to take that that chalk value mm-hmm. if it's there, especially if it's in that middle range. Like if you can get a Chiefs or Texans or whoever's in that good matchup for you know around three K, thirty two, something like that. I think it's a little more important to take it on DraftKings. Whereas on FanDuel you can look for more of a contrarian approach, probably target those road teams, tar- more heavily target those low implied totals. And on DraftKings, I mentioned 26% are hitting 4x value. That was compared to 16% hitting 3x on FanDuel. Not necessarily apples to apples, but just something to keep in mind. Uh, you can be, you know, DraftKings, again, a little more, little more chalky there. Uh, 53% were favorites. 45% were at home. You know, once more we see that the, the road teams are doing really well in terms of DSTs. And uh, I mentioned already 68% on DraftKings below Team total opposing team totals, excuse me, below twenty four, thirty seven percent below twenty one. So that's that's really sums it up as far as defense. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else to add before we move on to kicker, TJ. Yeah, I have a few thoughts on some points that you brought up. Uh, the first one being the DraftKings millionaire, millionaire maker average uh, ownership percentage being around 12%. And, and before you even mentioned that, I was just kind of thinking that if there is one position where you should be willing to eat the chalk, so to speak, uh, it's probably defense just because most people have a pretty good idea because we're looking at an entire unit of uh, where the good matchups are and where the value is going to be. That's not a hard one to decipher, like maybe a tight end or a wide receiver. So uh, because so many people do know, I think you could still target a defense that's going to be pretty highly owned, especially on DraftKings, and feel comfortable putting them in your lineup. Um, And then the pricing discrepancies between the two sites, which is a reason we see that spread and ownership percentage and a reason you should be paying up uh, if you can on FanDuel and maybe really have to think about it on DraftKings where people are just targeting these obvious values because uh, DraftKings has basically uh, pulled the floor out for a couple of their positions for tight end and, and defense most notably. So we see these cheap defenses all the way down at, at $2,200 and an extreme situation. Just imagine a uh, a really good starting quarterback like a Cam Newton goes out and in the middle of the week, and they're facing a defense that's going to be min price. Uh, now that defense might be a really good value. Uh, compare that min price defense to even a Seattle in a good matchup. Uh, look at week one pricing. The the highest price defense is priced at thirty nine hundred. Lowest price at twenty two hundred on DraftKings. So we have a seventeen hundred dollar discrepancy. So there's really an opportunity cost there with paying up for that uh, DraftKings high price defense, and that's why we see people really gravitating towards those values on FanDuel. We see the the lowest price defense at four thousand. The highest price defense at fifty one hundred. So 
if that good defense is in a good spot, it really makes a lot of sense to pay up for them. Your opportunity cost is a lot lower, uh, but at the same time, those prices are bunched so close together that you're going to see a lot of people taking different shots because there isn't an opportunity cost, and that's probably why we see that lower ownership percentage in FanDuel GPPs. Well said. Let's switch gears a little bit, move on to kicker, and we'll come back to some week one thoughts on these defenses after we get through kicker, but we'll be pretty brief in terms of kicker. The correlations are field goal percentage is at .55. That's one of the highest like things that doesn't go directly into, uh, in, into the kicking points besides attempts. And team points for it come next at point forty eight, and then team points allowed at negative point thirty two. So, for kickers, it's really just about being a team being able to score a lot of points, and of course, that goes directly into Vegas, and that also goes into game scripts. And what we find is that kickers are going to get more attempts when their team is leading. So over the last three years. Offenses kick field goals on 76% of fourth downs inside the 35-yard line when they are leading or the game is tied. However, when they are trailing, that 76% frequency drops all the way down to 61% on fourth downs inside the 35. So big difference in terms of opportunities that a kicker is going to get when his team is up or tied, or the game is close, versus when the team is trailing. So that's why we want to make sure our kickers are in a good game script similar to our running backs. And we looking at FanDuel and how they valued kickers, home favorites stood out last season. They had the edge. They scored 1.60 points per $1,000. Road favorites were next at 1.53. Then came road underdogs at 1.47. And finally, home underdogs at 1.44. So, again, we even see for kickers, it's kind of a similar situation maybe occurring on the underdog side where road underdogs are a little bit more valuable than home underdogs. Again, just could that could still be just noise or, or, or whatever, but something to keep in mind there. Um, wouldn't necessarily recommend rostering underdogs regardless because the road favorites are a lot higher than the road underdogs and the home underdogs anyway. So, But in terms of implied point totals, again, we see a pretty good correlation. When a, excuse me, not opposing point totals, just uh, implied point totals of the offense. Uh, below 18, kickers are scoring 1.30 points per $1,000. At 18 to 21, it goes up to 1.43. 21 to 24, it goes up to 1.52. 24 to 27, it goes up to 1.65. That's its peak. And then it dips slightly to 1.62 at 27 plus. But that 1.62 is still higher than any other bucket except the 24 to 27. So essentially, you want a team total of at least 24. And again, that's why favorites are also putting up the best value because most favorites are going to have a team total of at least 24. And for kickers in FanDuel GPPs and the winning lineups of the Sunday Million, the average owner, the median ownership, excuse me, was only 3.8%. That was eight out of the nine positions. So you really want to go contrarian at kicker. As I mentioned, you could, there will be between all the favorites, whether home and away, there should be about... 16 kickers and even once you take out the ones with totals 
uh, under 24, you should still be left with a good amount of possible kickers to play, uh, of potential plays each week in GPP. So I would suggest going with one of the lower-owned options. Another option is to stack your kicker with your defense that is a correlated stack you can find out more about that in the definitive guide to stacking on FanDuel which I released a couple of weeks ago on 444.com so in terms of comparing defense versus kickers on FanDuel because I know people will end up doing that a lot since they both are the cheap positions uh, and for salaries of 5k and above Kickers hit 2x value 41% of the time, whereas DSTs only did so 35% of the time. Now, that was flipped in the 4,500 to 4,900 range. DSTs hit 2x value 36% of the time, whereas kickers hit value only 34% of the time. So in terms of a floor, you can usually get a little more of a floor by paying up at kicker. However, I don't necessarily put that into practice as much just because there's usually a kicking option that's still cheaper that that there's no need to really pay 5k plus for a kicker even though they do have very high success rates um but something to keep in mind there and then in gpps uh dsts hit 3x value 22% of the time kickers hit 3x only 13% of the time at 5k plus at 4.5k to 4.9k DSTs hit 3x value 17% of the time and kickers only 8% of the time so we can see that no matter what salary bucket defenses have the higher upside a lot more upside than kickers so if I was going to prioritize uh, what to spend up on especially in tournaments I'm going with my defense in cash games I usually end up prioritizing the defense a little more as well just because again they're they're going to be reliable kickers kickers don't have as much upside so I rather uh, take my chances paying a little extra for that defense and hoping that they not only hit their floor but get some upside there as well I'm a lot more willing to take risks with lower salaried positions even in cash games so my tight end my defense my kicker take a little more risk at those positions even in cash games than I would for say an 8k wide receiver or an 8k running back I want those guys to be really really safe options regardless and have the highest floors but at the lower lower end position some upside is good especially if you play head-to-heads then you can really uh, crush some of the more risk-averse head-to-head players there but um that's that's really it when it comes to kickers just look for those those vegas lines those favorites those high implied team totals do you have anything to add to the kicker discussion mr hernandez yeah, I have a few thoughts about kicker because a lot of people think of it as this throwaway position, and uh, you actually hear a lot of people complain about kicker both uh, in redraft and now in DFS with FanDuel still implementing the kicker. I know there was actually some petitions to get rid of kicker, but uh, I actually think it's really important. If you, You've shown this in a lot of your work, Chris, mm-hmm. that we obviously have some really strong correlations to where kicker points come from, and it's just another edge to be had. I mean, we only get nine roster spots on FanDuel, and so the kicker makes up 11% of our roster, and if we have even a, a 
decent percentage of players just ignoring that uh, that kicker slot and just kind of punting or going with the cheap guy or just plugging in whatever min price guy they have. That's a huge edge for us. Every single time we're going to have someone ignoring 11% of their roster. Um, and I, I wrote up a article earlier on 4 for 4 about keeping the kicker in your league and why you should do it. And the basic premise of that article is that uh, because people don't value the kicker properly, uh, that you're going to find edges in your redraft league. And uh, it goes the same for DFS. Like, while in redraft people are probably going to overpay and not always wait till the last round, you've shown that here in DFS, a lot of people are probably naturally just going to want to punt the position. But we found that even though it's a few percentage points, that these kickers that are more expensive hit value slightly more often. So especially in a GPP setting, you might be inclined to pay up a little bit just to give yourself a unique roster. So I think it's really important that people take the time to, even if you're just going through the Vegas lines and the expected point totals, even if it's five minutes, it's better than people that are taking no time. And uh, I do think it's a really a really good spot to create an edge in a game where uh, I, I mentioned this probably every week. This is a very small margin uh, game that we're playing. Every percentage point counts. And like I said, if people are ignoring 11% of the roster, uh, we could get a pretty nice edge. I mean, especially if you're with the friends leagues. Now, if you're setting up leagues with your buddies, I mean, maybe, maybe you got some high stakes going with your buddies and you guys are playing a hundred per person a week. Um, if you can get an edge at kicker, like, choose Fandles for in leagues and, and put the kicker position in because people are going to ignore it and you're going to profit because of it. Most definitely completely agree there. I think something you can, it's something you can use four for fours lineup generator to, to do really well, which is we have filters on our lineup generator where you can filter by opposing team total. You can filter by spread and things like that. So you can literally go to the list of kickers and filter by the, the team totals above 24, filter by the favorites, and then you have your list of kickers pretty much right there ready to go. So um, that's just one way to use 4 for 4's lineup generator uh, available with the DFS subscription. And as TJ mentioned, kickers are very consistent on a weekly basis. They are not unpredictable at all. Now, some of that is because they have low upside and so there's not really too too much too much of a way for them to vary, but in terms of coefficient of variation which just measures the percent of, percentage of variability on a weekly basis in fantasy scoring the lower the percentage the better only quarterback had a lower cv than kicker quarterback cv on fanda was 41 percent kicker was 49 percent and then the next position was wide receiver all the way at 61 percent so kickers really one of the consistent aka predictable positions in fantasy and that's something for people to keep in mind you guys are listening to DFS MVP presented by 444.com. I'm Chris Raybon. He's TJ Hernandez. Let's close the podcast up, TJ, by going back to week one. And we'll talk mostly about defenses. I'll, I'll just ask you your thoughts on some of these defenses going against some of the lesser quarterbacks in week one. So I want to start off by talking about the the Eagles defense. They're at home against the Browns the the Vegas line has continued the spread for the Eagles mm-hmm. has continued to decrease 
what are you thinking as far as this game? Do you think the Eagles are going to handily take care of the Browns? Are they going to have trouble? Is it going to not matter because Robert Griffin's going to just be a turnover machine regardless? Is Hugh Jackson going to be able to mitigate uh, some high fantasy output from the Eagles just because he's going to run a lot? I know you did a, a study on you, so uh, tell me what you think about that game. This game is really hard to figure out. There's two games that got taken off the books this week because of their quarterback situation. One was the Eagles game. The other was the Minnesota game. Uh, so I was interested to see what's going to happen. Um, but now that I've had some time to kind of sit back and think about what's going to happen uh, with Sam Bradford not there anymore, it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be starting. We already know that Hugh Jackson is one of the most run-heavy uh play callers in the league and now with uh, a rookie starting for the Eagles um, I think they're probably going to end up leaning on Ryan Matthews so I think this could end up being a slower paced low scoring game uh, where both teams are kind of slowing it down a little bit and uh, because of that I don't know if these teams are going to be passing as much as we would like or if the Eagles are going to get a huge lead like maybe they would have even though yeah, it's Sam Bradford. He's not great, but I think a lot of people are a lot more excited about this Eagles offense, which would have put their defense in some really nice fantasy spots. Uh, now I think it's going to be slower. Eagles probably still come out on top, but I think the the blowout potential is pretty much gone now, and I just don't think we're going to see that uh, that spot where the, the Browns are, are down by 10 and Robert Griffin has to make some tough decisions and gets those sacks and picks that we really like to target. Um, I think it's just really slow. Uh, Chip Kelly's not there anymore. we got Doug Peterson. We know how the Chiefs have traditionally ran their offense. Uh, so I think that could be the case this week. Definitely, yeah. Well said. Just some interesting notes. And we'll talk actually more about line movement on our theory segment for the week one DFS MVP podcast but I thought it was interesting Vegas initially came out with the line for this game on April 15th and it was Eagles favored by seven and a half points it steadily decreased even before the Bradford news but it went down to about six but now it's currently at Eagles favored by only four Mm -hmm. so uh, it moved past the key point of, of a touchdown, and it's now it's into that four-point range. And it will it'll be interesting to, to see what happens in that game. But I, I completely agree. I think Hugh Jackson is going to run, probably take a few deep shots on those cornerbacks, but that's it. You know, I think Philly has a pretty solid defense overall, especially now that they're not going to have to run out there for 70, 80 plays a game because Chip Kelly's offense couldn't stay on the field, but he played really fast. But, yeah, I'm not sure if this game is going to be as great of a game as it initially looked like uh, for Philly. Moving on to another interesting game that uh, the tide really changed due to some some late-breaking news. We have the Titans defense going against the Vikings with probably Sean Hill at quarterback, maybe Bradford, but it looks like they're going to get Bradford ready for week two because the Vikings a couple years ago had a disastrous Josh Freeman start um, after just picking him up off the street, and I don't think they want to repeat that. So what do you think about the Titans going against the Vikings with Sean Hill where we know the Titans want to be one of the run-heaviest, if not the run-heaviest team in the league is this a situation where uh how do we feel about first of all how do we feel about the vikings defense and how do we feel about the titans defense 
Yeah, this is another interesting spot. As far as I know, this game hasn't uh, been put back on the books as of this recording uh, with the trade. They took it off the books immediately. Obviously, if there's a change of quarterback, uh, then we're going to see a um, we're going to see Vegas need to stop and adjust. One thing worth noting is that uh, there is a pretty big discrepancy between the uh, pricing of the Titans on FanDuel and DraftKings. The Titans are priced 26 on FanDuel, but only 16th uh, on DraftKings. So they're actually priced really low on FanDuel. But like I mentioned earlier, we uh, we don't always really want to punt on FanDuel because you don't have to spend that much more to, to pay up. But uh, I am curious with... Uh, Tennessee being at home and Minnesota plugging in a quarterback that they weren't expecting to start. I think uh, I think it could be a sneaky good situation if you do want to punt the position um, and kind of have a, a unique lineup. But I guessing this might end up being similar to what I just talked about with the Philly game, where um, both teams are just going to be very run heavy and probably low scoring but probably not a ton of passing where we want those fantasy points to come from so that's my initial take there's still a lot to be figured out um we're gonna wait to see what vegas has to say on this game definitely i'm looking at the vegas lines on on vegas insider anyway it looks like there's a lineup and it's uh it's the vikings by a point and a half it got as low it got as low as vikings by a point and kind of settled back in at a point and a half of course that was lower than the initial line, which was hovering around three points, three and a half points, until the Teddy Bridgewater news. So, um, I, I like the Titans in this situation. I think I'm going to have exposure to them. I may also have exposure to De, to Demarco Murray, so I may end up throwing a stack out there, a running back defense stack. It's not one of the most highly correlated stacks, but if you are playing to play those two positions independently, it makes sense to pair them up in lineups. But I do think that. Um, I, I think Tennessee is actually just a better team than we think they are coming off a really bad season. I mm-hmm. think I think the offseason moves that they make that they made are going to put them in the right direction. I think Marcus Mariota has sneaky upside um, pretty much every time he takes the field. We saw a bunch of big games from him last season. So um, I think this is going to be a situation where most people will probably not be invested too heavily on, on either side. So I may have some exposure there. Uh, moving on to another interesting situation, and I think I was talking to John Paulson about this. I think, uh, and he agreed that it's probably under the radar play is the Cardinals defense going against Jimmy Garoppolo because the Cardinals do fit that profile of a team that can score a lot of points. And of course, this is Garoppolo's first start. What do you think about that game? Yeah, I think this is just going to be a really nice leverage spot because uh, we talked about this right when pricing came out that Garoppolo might be a really interesting GPP play. Uh, And I think that might be true just because this game probably is going to be high scoring. But Arizona is at home favored by five and a half. And I think that the public is probably still, especially in week one where we're getting a ton of new players and a lot of casual players, uh, the public's probably still going to be hesitant to play the Cardinals because they are facing Bill Belichick and the vaunted New England Patriots, uh, regardless of if Tom Brady's uh, playing or not. But look where Arizona's priced. $5,000 on FanDuel, $3,500 on DraftKings. 
people can pay $100 more on both sites and get the Chiefs, uh, get the Seahawks for the same price on FanDuel or for $400 more on DraftKings. So I think it's going to be a spot where Seattle and Kansas City are very highly owned, and that's naturally going to push Arizona's uh, ownership percentage down, and they're in a really good spot. So that's like the perfect GPP formula, and I think the more I think about it, uh, that probably is going to be uh, where I'm most overweight on on any defense uh, going into week one. Definitely. So moving on to the another game which has seen some significant line movement when the Giants-Cowboys line opened earlier in the summer. It was Cowboys favored by four. It settled in at around three, three and a half. But since Romo went down, Dak Prescott starting at quarterback for the Cowboys. It is now a pick 'em. So 23-23 is what Vegas is projecting in that game. I'm curious as to how you feel about the revamped Giants defense going against Dak Prescott. Is this line movement justified or is it fool's gold? Is Dak Prescott going to be able, especially with that Cowboys running game, to just uh, kind of neutralize any fantasy scoring from the Giants defense or are we or is Vegas underestimating how much of a bump the Giants should get no I think that uh this is going to be I think this is going to be a trap spot for a lot of people and the public uh betting is already kind of showing that the game is a pick em, like you mentioned mentioned the Cowboys are at home but we're seeing two th- over two-thirds of the betting market on the Giants who are the the away team and anybody that loosely follows sports betting at all knows that that's just like a prime spot to take that to for that home team to uh, to really be in a good position we already know that dallas is the slowest paced team we talked about this on the last podcast i think or the running back podcast but uh they are the slowest paced team last year with all of their injuries and then at full strength they were the slowest pace team two years ago so regardless of who's in there they're going to slow the pace down i talked about this with the eagles game i talked about this with the tennessee game uh if there isn't a ton of fantasy scoring opportunity i don't care how low scoring the game is you're not going to get uh in those great spots and dallas offensive line is amazing they're going to protect Dak. they're going to be able to run the ball probably at will um and i don't think that the cowboys are going to have Dak go out there and throw 30 times so uh, i think this is actually a, a trap spot and i think the public might be on the giants but i'm going to be off them yeah i think too i totally agree with that one thing i will mention that is speaking of the public i think Dak will be the highest owned quarterback if not one of the highest and I think that makes an interesting uh, contrarian play for the Giants in tournaments. You know, I don't – I like to play defenses against high-owned quarterbacks. So I, I don't want to overdo it on the Giants, but I think I will have them in a spot in a, in a Prescott-faded lineup uh, just to kind of get some leverage um, there. But I do agree. I think, you know, you have to really look at those public betting trends as well. And that's something we will also discuss on our theory segment in next week's DFS MVP podcast for week one. Uh, the final game I wanted to talk to you about, TJ, is the first game of the season. I know a lot of people are itching to play DFS, so a lot of people are going to um, use this Thursday slate so Panthers versus Simeon, it's another situation where we have a, a young 
starting quarterback with not much experience, but a team that is very run oriented. So it's kind of a situation where do we really want to target this defense against that quarterback? What do you think? Yeah, this I think would have been uh, the perfect spot where we talked about earlier in the podcast really good defenses on the road, they might see a little bit lower ownership percentage than usual because they are the road team, and uh, Panthers here kind of fit the bill perfectly. They're three-point favorites on the road, although um, that line did change, but there there's a lot of other factors that go into line movement in week one uh, besides just public betting. You mentioned uh, Simeon starting, so I think whereas uh, maybe not as many people would have been on them, even though we all know Mark Sanchez isn't great, people might have just kind of faded that uh, road team. Um, I think more people will gravitate to the Panthers now. Uh, I would say that if you are playing Thursday slates, that this is a good, a classic spot where uh, you want to fade a lot of the offensive players because people are going to want to uh, see their guys on TV, especially first week of the season. We'll probably see inflated ownership percentage on the Thursday games. And if you do want exposure or pivot, then to get the Panthers defense in there kind of as um, as a, a, a leverage play against all the offensive players that people will be playing in that Thursday night slate. Um, now I think the Panthers will probably see that bump in ownership percentage along with the other players in the game. So uh, just from a GPP leverage perspective i'll probably be fading them just because i think other people will be on them quite a bit definitely and i think this game in general is a game you want to fade it sets up to be a defensive game i think both defenses will probably end up being over owned anyway because the panthers defense going against simeon and then the broncos defense everyone probably remembers the Super Bowl where Von Miller obliterated Cam Newton and the Broncos defense put up some good fantasy numbers. So I think uh, the offensive players will probably be over-owned in this game. The defenses will probably be over-owned in this game. It's a really, as TJ mentioned, classic spot for a complete fade. So that wraps up our discussion on defenses, kickers, Hope you guys enjoyed that. Please subscribe to our podcast, DFS MVP. Check out our DFS subscription at 444.com. It is live. Uh, John Paulson's projections, one of the most accurate in the industry over the last six years, are driving all of the value reports, which go into the lineup generator, which now comes with floor and ceiling projections built in as well. Um, you guys can check out the stack value reports, which is ranking all the quarterback stacks. We're adding some some other stacks to that report. We've already added the quarterback wide receiver and opposing wide receiver to the stack value reports. Uh, we have a bunch of content. TJ is going to be writing a couple articles for us this year, so we're really excited to get him on board, uh, more involved in the subscription. We'll be doing a niche site article. We'll be doing a cornerback matchup and scheme and injuries to exploit article we'll be doing an ownership projection article where we'll be taking the thursday fanduel ownership data and using that to project sunday fanduel and DraftKings ownership uh we'll be 
looking at uh, Joe Hoka. We'll be looking at the top stacks of the week. Check out Joe's work on rushing expectations. Been some good stuff. You can also find that on 4 for 4. Uh, the DFS subscription will also include an optimal lineup walkthrough. So the, our lineup generators now have an optimized button where you can quickly find the optimal lineup, whether it's ceiling, floor, or median projections. And uh, we'll be walking you through that. And if, I'll be bringing back my hindsight column where I'll look at the past week on FanDuel and DraftKings and provide some takeaways. Uh, that article was really helpful to do last season. I encourage everyone to just do that for themselves a little bit. Just kind of look at the takeaways from the previous week. Spend some time reviewing what you did last week. Don't just jump ahead whether you win or lose. Always do some review. You'll learn some things and you'll uh, improve your DFS game. But I think doing that hindsight column last year really helped me discover the running back stacking correlations and because every week I was reviewing the the winning lineups in in the big tournaments and finding that there were all these running backs included in stacks with quarterbacks or with wide receivers or whatnot so and that 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 led to my research in the stacking articles and putting the data behind it and finding out that we really should be paying a lot more attention to running back. So things like that, um, just reviewing your DFS work are major. Um, so check that out. The DFS subscription also has a bunch of apps, tools, and downloads. We have a downloadable spreadsheet with four for fours projections and DFS site salary. So you can just hit, hit one click, download that, and you'll have everything in one place. We'll have a pray, player pricing report this year where we keep track of a player's salary what what did it open at and what percentage of the cap is it how much did it change from this week to last from last week to this week excuse me there oftentimes can be too big of a correction or adjustment by the dfs sites based on recent play so it's always good to keep track of those salary rises and falls a lot of times salary falls in themselves are predictive of fantasy value so definitely something to check out we have a vegas odds page now with an app where you can view those in addition to the lines and spreads and stuff you can also view those public betting trends which was what tj was alluding to earlier and we'll talk more about those in our week one pod but that's something that's really important to look into for dfs when you're trying to find some contrarian plays in tournaments and just understand how the public is betting we'll also incorporate those of course into our ownership projections and then we have a bunch of advanced stats that you guys will have access to so four for four is a dfs subscription check it out right now at four for four.com I am Chris Raybon, TJ Hernandez. You got any last words before we get into our week one pod next? Baby, I got your shmoney. You heard it. Let's get this shmoney. I hope you guys enjoyed the DFS strategy pods. We did one for every position. So if you guys want, you guys can go back and listen to the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end DFS MVP podcasts. Again, check out 444.com's DFS subscription. And let's get this money. Wanna be with me? You wanna look pretty though? 
in my video. Oh, dirty on the hat, and I let you all know. Just dance if you want up in the Holy Ghost trance. If you stop, I'ma put them killer ants in your pants. I'm the ODB, as you can see. FBI, don't you be watching me? I don't want no problems, cause I put you down in the ground where you cannot be found. I'm just dirt dog trying to make some money. So give me my streaks and give me my honey. Radios play this all day, every day. Recognize I'm a fool and you love me. None of you know, better look at me funny. No, you know my name down, give me my money. Hey, hey, hey. Sing it. Baby, I got your money. Sing it, girl. I said, hey. Just sing it right.